good issue for all women. Hello there, Hannah here to introduce you to this episode of The Sunday Chops. In it, I'm talking to Hannah Khalil, writer in residence at the Globe Theatre. Hannah has not one, but two shows on at the landmark venue this month, and you'll hear all about them in the upcoming interview, so I'm going to keep this bit short. Except to say that Hakawati's The Women of the Arabian Nights is on at the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse until January the 14th. And The Fir Tree, a reimagining of Hans Christian Andersen's classic children's story, is on at the Globe until the 31st of December. You can find out more or book tickets at shakespearsglobe.com. Hi, Hannah here. I am joined by Hannah Khalil, resident writer at The Globe. Thank you so much for joining us, Hannah. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for asking me. I'm really delighted you found the time because we're going to fly through this and then you've got to go to a run through because you start, as we are recording, you start tomorrow. Yeah, I had a, and I had launch night for one show last night, and which is my play Hakawetis in the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse. And uh, next week we have tech and then we open the fir tree, which is my play in the main house. So yes, <laughs> eye of the storm moment. So how's the Christmas shopping going? Oh, I'm I'm horribly anal. So it was. Oh, really? You've it, done it on top of all of that. It's all I'm done. really impressed. It's, I actually had a friend come to see the launch show last night, and I said to her, "Have you got a bag with you?" And she was like, "Why? Oh my god! Don't tell me you've got the presents for the kids." And I was like, "Sorry, yeah." At the moment, I've got so much adrenaline of an evening that I get into bed, and then I just end up doing lots of shopping online and buying things. And my husband's like, "Why is there more post?" <laughs> I'm like, "Don't yeah. worry about it. It's fine." Yeah. I actually I agree I think sometimes when you are in your most frantic when you're the, you're most busy it's when you actually manage to achieve loads of other stuff as well it, it's, it's nervous energy isn't it my mum says ask a busy woman and you'll yeah, you exactly. get done oh absolutely it's so much better to be online shopping at two o'clock in the morning than it is lying in bed worrying about what you've got to exactly. achieve tomorrow <laughs> just or, get it done or, or now or doom scrolling you know through yeah. twitter so yeah oh, Jesus. absolutely yeah so let's start with Hakawatis, is yeah. that right? Yeah, that'll do. Hakawatis, <laughs> Women of the Arabian Nights, which opens, like I say, tomorrow, tomorrow when we're recording this. How are your rehearsals going? Amazing. I mean, it's been quite intense. We've had some COVID woes, I think it's oh. fair to say. And so we had to cancel a couple of previews and we've had a, a, an understudy on. But she is astonishing and no one knows who she is. So that's the best bit. Everyone's like, who's the understudy? I'm like, well, if you don't know, I'm not telling you. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's been fantastic. And it's been a really long road to get this show on because it was programmed, although not officially announced. It was sort of in the schedule for 2020. So you know how that goes. And yeah, <laughs> yeah and so uh, it went in and out of the schedule. So I started to wonder whether it would ever actually happen. And so for it to actually be on stage is quite it's quite something it feels very a bit overwhelming actually I was quite overwhelmed last night because we had sort of um a launch for family and friends and the response was incredible so yeah and I sort of started clapping at the end of my then went oh I wrote that okay <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bit yeah and that must be an incredible feeling it's about a thousand and one Arabian Nights or it's based on a thousand and one Arabian Nights which in this country is a children's story and or generally not entirely but for the most part a children's story 
But it's actually about a man's horrible revenge over infidelity. So why the fuck we're telling kids about that? I Quite. I don't know. Maybe we could start by you explaining what the actual story is. Sure. So in the original, so A Thousand and One Nights or The Arabian Nights, as it's often called in the West, is the name of a collection of stories. And there's a framing device. So the framing device is that there is a king who catches his wife in flagrante with a servant and in his rage kills them both and then vows to take his revenge on all womankind. Every night he will wed, bed and behead another woman. Oh, Jesus, and... It's the same story, isn't it? <laughs> Forever. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's great bedtime story stuff, isn't it? Let's mm. be honest. And what happens is Sherazade is very courageous and says, no, I'm going to go next and um, I'm going to tell him the most amazing stories that continually ravel into one another so that he will want to keep turning the pages. He'll want to keep knowing what happens next and he'll keep me alive. And he does. He keeps her alive for a thousand and one nights. And then after that, he decides, actually, women aren't so bad. I'll keep Sherazade and then the stories end. That's the original. That's incredible. He was on the original binge, wasn't mm-hmm. he? Mm-hmm. There. Yes, I hear you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tell me how you have decided to approach this story. Well, I've always found it quite odd that it's, as you know, as we've already alluded to, that it's a, it's presented as something for children in the West because the original stories, never mind the framing device, are really dark, are really saucy and really like undercut what most people's expectations would be of women from that part of the world. Mm-hmm. And I had seen a few productions of it here you know, it's often done as a panto or as a kid's show. And I had the great privilege to see a show in the San Wanamaker Playhouse, which is, it's not the wooden O, the big globe space mm. that most people would associate with the globe. It's an indoor space that opened more recently. When I say recently, I think about 10 years ago. It's in the Jacobean style and it's all candlelit and it's absolutely stunning. And I went and saw a show there called Lions and Tigers by the great writer Tanika Gupta. And this was in 2017. And it was directed by Pooja Guy, who is the artistic director of Tamasha Theatre, who is directing Hakawetis now by a lovely happenstance. It's not a happenstance, it's because obviously she's brilliant. And I, <laughs> I wanted her to do it. And she, thank God, said yes. But so I had seen that show and I fell in love with the space. And I walked along at the South Bank to get to the station to go home. And I thought, wow, what would I write if I could write anything for that space? And I guess thinking about that space and thinking about Sherazade having seen, you know, in the not too, and, and reading those stories. And, you know, I, I keep stories by the bed. So when I'm not buying Christmas presents, I'm trying to read short sort of Angela Carter, things like that. To I love Angela Carter. Yeah, I mean, amazing. So just to kind of stop me from looking at my screen. And it all sort of just came together in my head. And I suddenly thought Sherazade, I mean, like, actually, that would be a great space for a Sherazade story. But what would I, and then I suddenly thought, well, what if, what if Sherazade isn't this brilliant storyteller that she thinks she is? What if there's a bit of hubris going on? Mm. Well, all the other women who would be next for the king's punishment would want her to succeed. So what if they come together and they start writing stories for her? Effectively, Sherazade's writer's room. And yeah, and so that's how I came up with the idea. And so that would be brilliant because then I can have a good number of women of Arab heritage acting in it on mm. stage. And it, it's a big, you know, being mixed heritage and half Palestinian it's a really big thing for me. It always has been a reason that I've written to write good parts for Arab women. And um, so I was like, that's great. But what if somehow the way that I make it can reflect the story of the play? 
And so I have got three other brilliant women writers of Arab heritage to write new stories that have been inserted into the play. So the way it was made sort of reflects mm. the actual thing that's happening on stage, which is very cool, I think. Definitely. That said, you're writing a story about a brilliant story. <laughs> we interviewed Julie Hesmanhausch a while ago about being in a play called The Greatest Play in the History of the World <laughs> Ever. I mean, do, do, does it set the bar pretty high for yourself when you're writing it? Well, what I tend to do when I'm writing plays, and this might sound counterintuitive, but there's a sort of bit of cognitive dissonance that goes on where I go, no one is ever going to produce this. And, you know, the more the more successful I get, the more tricky that is, because particularly yeah. if you're in a position where, like with the fir tree last year, uh, it had already gone on sale before I'd started writing the thing. So it's quite hard to do that. But, but what I try and do is say, no one's ever going to produce this, so I don't need to worry, actually, about what anyone thinks. about. So I don't self-censor, so I don't get sort of over-worried about kind of, oh, mm. that's rubbish. Or, you know, I just like, let's just get it all on the page. No one's ever going to do it. It's just for me. And it doesn't matter if so-and-so recognises that I've based that character on them or my mum, you know, hears mm. that little phrase that she always puts, no, no one's going to do it. No one will ever read it or see it, so it's fine. So it was okay, actually, because it was more, it felt like me playing and having fun. And I sort of, when I approached the three other writers, Suhail al-Bushra, Hanama Sheikh and uh, Sarah Sharawi, to write these new stories, I gave them a very sort of loose brief. I told them, this is what the thing is going to be about. And what I'd love from you is a new story I'd love it to centre women and I'd love it to be as cheeky as you like. That's it. Mm. So I didn't know what I would get from them. So I sort of wrote, wrote around the idea, but leaving sort of spaces and hoping that what they would deliver, I'd be able to stitch in neatly. Yeah. And luckily what they did deliver was absolutely perfect and sort of really served different bits of the play that to bring the story for, you know, of the women further on. Because the stories within the play end up kind of being part of the narrative of their relationship and how we begin to understand them as human beings. And, you know, we get tidbits of their past metaphorically through some of the stories and things like that. I'm really hopeful that old school storytelling might be soon about to enjoy some sort of revival for, for a number of reasons. I think audiobooks, I think that the sort of rise in how audiobooks are, are produced now you know, rather than just someone literally reading it to you like your mum might sit at the side of the bed when you were a kid reading it to you into this really interesting production, you know, soundscapes and all of that. Because yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's a really beautiful skill to just have, to be able to just tell a story. I, my, my granddad, he was Irish, so I think that helps. So I'm, I'm half Irish as well, it's, so I've got it on both <laughs> sides, Palestinian and the Irish, definitely. Definitely. A absolute master. I mean, it makes it sound really twee, but he would literally just start a story and eventually everybody in the room would stop what they were doing and turn around and listen to his story. And I think watching him do that taught me probably a better skill than most other skills I've been taught in my life. You know, it needs to have drama here. It needs to have comedy here. It needs to have emotion here. It, you know, it needs to have a cliffhanger. All of this stuff that you couldn't, you could go and learn but actually seem to come to him. It's really interesting everything you say because all of that is in the play. You know, the, the, the women start off not being that great at telling stories and then gradually get better and better and better yeah. and, and learn how to do it. I think it's a really sort of beautiful, kind of fundamental, very human thing to tell a story. Yeah. And that's the great privilege. I mean, the great privilege of the spaces at the Globe is that 
you know, even though everyone's like, oh, it's tricky, isn't it? You've got no light. You've only got candles and you can't have a blackout. How do you tell them it's over or how do you? But actually, it, what it really lends itself to, the both of those spaces is very direct storytelling. And actually, it's really funny because Fir Tree also has some really clear direct... I mean, there's a whole story in the middle of Fir Tree. Someone comes in and just tells a story to the audience. And there's those spaces just really, really work for that. And the audiences are really connected to mm. um, to the work in that way. I feel totally privileged to have written for the stages here. But to know that you're writing for that space means that the quality of the writing is different. You know, there's certain things you can't do in there. And then there's things that just work so, so well. Mm. I think they're both spaces for pure storytelling and uh, and and my husband said to me isn't it funny like you don't you don't really sort of I don't overanalyze my own work but he said well of course every single play you've written has a story in it and I went no oh it does (laughs) I didn't realize that and that obviously you know as you say comes from both sides from the Irish and the Palestinian tradition of Pakawati in Palestine but also we have the tradition of storytelling in in Ireland you know yeah and with plays like the Weir you know which is so famous it's just a group of people telling stories in lockdown, I listened to The Dubliners as read by Chris O'Dowd, and it was incredible. I preferred it way more than when I read it. When I read I it, I, I thought it was good. But yeah, actually, listening to it come out of somebody's mouth was, was so much. And actually, an Irish voice as well, yeah. obviously. So let's talk about women in not great situations around the world at the moment. Their lives are always at risk from men. But I think the last year or so, what's happened, you know, in Iran, what's ongoing in Afghanistan really, you know, drives that home. Is there a pressure of current events when, you, when you're doing a story like this, when you're putting on something like this? Not for me, no. And, and actually, the play isn't really intended to be a criticism of any country or patriarchal society because as far as I'm concerned of course there are terrible things happening all over the world there are terrible things happening in this country what I'm more interested in is exploring the way western audiences think about brown women and sort of revealing prejudices and also brown men so you know there's 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 a there's a few lines in the play I'm going to I'm going to paraphrase my own play but I'm allowed because I wrote it yeah of course you are. one of the actors says so the youngest woman says, what's he like, the king? What, what's, he, what's he like? And one says, what do you think he's like? And she says, I don't know. And, and then they say, tall, dark, handsome, like all Arab men. Or plotting, spitty, hairy, evil, religious, like all Arab men. And she says, I prefer the first version. They say, okay, stick with that. <laughs> you know, like, but, but this yeah. idea of kind of how we are portrayed in the media, I'm always trying to undercut that and, and, and make people look at things in a fresh way to try and unseat preconceived ideas, bias, prejudice. So it's more yeah. about that for me than about critiquing any one society. I mean, we know that patriarchal societies are shit and don't work and that there's injustice all over the world. And the reality is, the sad thing is, whenever this play would end up being put on, there would be something happening yeah, somewhere, absolutely. wouldn't there? Do you know what I mean? That would yeah. feel like it really sort of was speaking to that. So I, I don't because ultimately it's about storytelling. It's about sort of 
relationships between human beings and and it's about trying to make the audience really connect with those characters and maybe start to think about things a little bit differently hopefully you know excellent tell me about the fir tree so the fir tree is just joyous it's a hans christian anderson short story when i got the call asking if i would you know be interested to adapt it i went and read it and I thought, oh, my goodness me, we can't adapt this for a Christmas show. It's so bloody miserable. We'll have the children <laughs> crying. Because in the original, the fir tree, well, you can guess what happens at the end of the fir tree. Yeah. What happens, what happens to the fir tree? But Michelle Terry, the artistic director here, who is, I, I think, a visionary human being. I mean, her, her programming ideas, and, and she's directing fir tree. She's amazing, as well as being an amazing actor. Um, she said, no, I'm thinking about it. You know, let's think about fir tree as a sort of a call to climate action, but in a gentle way. So yeah. immediately I thought, yeah, I know, I, know what, I know what I can do. But it was hard because there's, you know, there are really dark moments in the show and it's a family show and so how to do them. And, but it's so interesting, the conversations between both plays. So in an early draft of the fir tree, the moment when the, I don't think it's giving too much away to say the fir tree does get cut down and, you know, taken into a house and decorated. And in the moment when it's um, cut down, I was like, how can I do that? It's really, it's really awful. You know, it's, it's quite, it could be quite scary. So originally I wrote it as, now look away, children. And I showed it to my daughter and she was like, you can't do that. You can't. The whole play is about telling the truth. They are such a tough audience, children. They don't, they don't sugarcoat it. They, no, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So, and the whole play is about, like, telling the truth, like, not lying to people. Tell them the truth. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and she was like, you can't. So now we do see the tree being cut down, and it's, you know, and it's very much sort of the conversation is stor- stories can be hard and because life is hard and we can't we can't hide that from people and there's literally sort of a very similar line in Hakoetis like we can't lie to people like stories are not about trying to put a plaster on something it's about it's about like us understanding the fundamental human condition which includes pain sadly you know um what I got very excited about was I had in in the pandemic had the great privilege of working on a bunch of um, Greek myth adaptations that were done online. And the designer, uh, so the director was Ian Nicholson, a brilliant man, and the designer, Sam Wilde. And these were all done as cardboard cutout. And those two had done Hatback, you know, the brilliant book. They'd done a sort of a version of that online in the pandemic as well um, for Polka Theatre. So they asked me to do these Greek myths. I did them. Sam Wilde is a genius. We call him the card bard because he can literally make anything out of cardboard. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He can make anything out of cardboard. So I said to Michelle, well, if we're going to make the show climate conscious, you know, let's make it climate conscious all the way through. And she said, absolutely. That's, that was my intention. And I said, well, let's work with Sam then because he can do all the puppets. Out. So all the puppets are made out of old Amazon boxes. And you wouldn't they they're absolutely I mean you would because they're card but they're really beautiful and so the show itself you know it, it, it's a bit like you know what, uh, what I was saying about Hakawati's the way that, that it's made represents you know mirrors it that the, the whole ethos of the, the making of of the fir tree speaks to what what the story is so it's it's a really beautiful thing it's a beautiful beautiful show now I just want to bring up one thing which is just you know, when people think of a globe, <laughs> you know, their, their first thought is, you know, oh, my God, it's going to be freezing. 
<laughs> in but the you winter. think that's what they think? Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, okay. Uh, well, I mean, I, I have been a number of times. And one time we stood in the absolute lashing down with oh. rain. I've got a photograph of us oh, just dear. standing. It was but, a great play, though, so we stuck with it. Um, I went once with my dad and we had to put a blanket over his legs because it was so cold. And we are in the, we are in the, in the throes of winter. But that all sounds lovely and cosy that you're describing there. I'm guessing that the globe is, is, is all weather friendly. What I find quite weird and I found quite, because my mum came to see the show last year and I was really worried about her because she really feels so cold. And so I was like, I want to get her, I want to like get her loads of layers. I bought a blanket for her. I was also ready to go and get a hot water bottle made up for her and um she got into the globe and it was i think if it's full which is looking like it will be quite full for the shows selling really really well it holds the heat so she was like stripping off her coat i was like what are you doing it's december woman you know you're the one who puts your heat on september (laughs) she's like it's boiling hot in here it's really hot you know so i was like well you know so it, it it's weird and when we're rehearsing in there it does get kind of chilly i've got i've i've invested in some fleece lined trousers that are just just gorgeous and a big woolly hat but actually i mean of course people should layer up and bring nice warm coats and there's mulled wine and there's hot chocolate and you know all of that so do do prepare for, for the cold but i think you'd be surprised at how um how cozy it does get in there actually Oh, excellent! I, did, I would, I would hate for people not to come because they were, yeah. You know, it's a really good point. Are, I never even, th- I never even th- think about. What did that. you think you're, I you're was right. going to say? Did you I, I was going to say every. I thought, you, yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. Yeah. You were say. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many conversations can we have about Shakespeare? <laughs> um, can you tell me anything else that's coming up that you might want to let us know about? Is there anything? It's so funny. The freelance life is weird, isn't it? So. Um, you know, I've had such a busy year. Imagine having three shows on at the same theatre in a year. No one I mean, has, I, no no one I has that privilege <laughs> except me. I feel, oh, sh- you know, my mate Shakespeare. But um, I feel <laughs> I feel very lucky, you know, and spoiled. And, you know, of course, it will never happen again. And to have two shows on at the same time, it's been like, I feel sort of really humbled by the faith the globe has shown in me. Hakawerti's closes middle of January. I, I mean, I have quite a few plays I need to write. There's people waiting for plays to be delivered. And I and there's two that have been delivered that I'm waiting to hear sort of verdicts on and whether we'll move forward. And there's a couple of telly things in the offing, but nothing concrete. So this Ooh. is the this is the joy of the freelancer's life. Goodness knows, I'll, I'll be going back into my little my little office and um, scribbling away a bit and uh, and waiting to see what what the theatre gods send my way. So nothing, Excellent. nothing firm. Thank you so, so much, Hannah. This has been great. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Standard Issue for all women.